If you've got a Bible or your phone or whatever you're going to use, you'll find uh, 2 Corinthians, um, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 5. And um, kids, you're doing great. I hope that you'll uh, be able to hang in there at just a, a little bit longer. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have children's church. So I was like in the service every week, except for the weeks that I was getting taken out and getting spanked. Uh, so I hope that fate does not uh, <laughs> befall any of you uh, today. But uh, it really is good to see you. We're glad that you're here. We're starting a new sermon series that uh, we're calling Broken. And, um, you know, there's really a lot of brokenness in the world right now. And, and it's actually, it's a subject that the uh, Bible uh, addresses. And um, it, it addresses it from some different angles. And we're going to look at it from some different angles in this series. In, in, in some ways, it's uh, negative. In, in some ways, it's, it's positive as far as how the Bible ad ad addresses it. But um, we're going to talk about the fact today that to really have a new beginning in our lives, that we have to come to a place of brokenness. And, and when I talk about brokenness, uh, what, what I really mean is the way I would define it is basically coming to the end of ourselves and beginning to live in dependence upon God. That, that's what we're talking about today, is coming to the end of ourselves and beginning to live in dependence on God. Now you say, you know, why would I want to or choose to come to that place in my life? Well, uh, this is something that, that we have to think about. You know, the world tells us the opposite of this. You know, our, our culture says that life is about finding yourself, finding your true identity and, and expressing yourself in, in, in that way, that, that life is about loving yourself. And, uh, you know, that's the, the key to being able to live the right kind of life, you know, the, the you do you kind of idea. But did you realize that, that Jesus taught us the exact opposite of that? He, he said the key to life is not finding yourself, the key to life is coming to the end of yourself. Because he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. He, he said, uh, if we give our life away, we'll find our life. But if we hang on to our life, we'll lose our life. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. So that's one angle on brokenness, and that's what we're going to look at today. And, and, and I just want you to think about as we start is, do you believe that life is about finding yourself or it's about losing yourself in Christ? Now, another angle in, in the story that we're going to look at will we'll address this, but another angle that we could think about uh, with, with brokenness is just the reality that, you know, sometimes we're internally broken just by things that are going on around us, just circumstances in, in, in our lives. And the reality is that um, 
there's a lot of that kind of brokenness in our world right now. Now, there's certainly brokenness on a societal, national level as we, uh, you know, the, just even the divisions and, and things that are going on in our country right now. But there's a lot of internal brokenness. I mean, diagnoses and prescriptions of anti-anxiety medicine, antidepressants, which were already high, have gone through the roof over the last uh, couple of months. We know that suicides are up. And, and that kind of thing. There's just a lot of broken, there's a lot of people in our church family that apart from uh, the, the pandemic have just been going through a, a lot of uh, difficult kinds of uh, situations. And sometimes, uh, you know, we just feel broken on the inside. Like, how do I cope with this? How do I deal with this? How, I ha- how do I handle this? Sometimes our problems seem insurmountable. Well, In the story that we're about to read, we're going to look at a man who had an insurmountable problem, humanly speaking, because he had been diagnosed with leprosy, and uh, there didn't seem to be a solution to his problem. But one of the things we're going to see in this story, and one of the things that I, I would ask you to think about today is this, is it possible that the purpose of your problems... Or is it even possible that, you know, this big picture problem that the world is dealing with right now, that God's purpose in that problem or God's purpose in our problems is to bring us to the end of ourselves and to cause us to begin to live in dependence on him? Can we handle life on our own? Can we overcome the things, the problems, the difficulties that we have to deal with on our own? Can we fix it all ourselves, or do we need to come to the Lord? You know, in Psalm 51, the Bible says that the the sacrifices that, that God accepts are broken in a contrite spirit. So what does that look like? Well, let's look in 2 Kings chapter 5. And Rusty, can I borrow your phone? My iPad has overheated, and it won't let me uh, read it on uh, that. It's the first time we've ever done this, right? Live and learn. All right. All right, so Second Kings uh, chapter 5. Give me just a second to uh, find it. All right. So it says here um, that the, hang on a second. It says, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now, there's a couple of things about this that, that uh, apply to all of us. You know, there was a lot of positives that were said about Naaman there. And, uh, you know, if I walked through this crowd and had a conversation with each and every one of you, uh, there's a lot of positives I could name. But there's also going to be a but there, right? There, there's also going to be some problems, that, some difficulties, some struggles that we could talk about in each of our lives. 
Uh, the other way that this applies to us is no matter you know, the good things that could be said about us, the reality is that we're all sinners, that none of us are perfect, that all of us fall short. And in the Bible, leprosy is a picture uh, of sin. It was a disease that, that defiled, it destroyed, it separated, uh, those kind of things. And, and so, uh, you know, I think that we can all identify with Naaman in that sense. But it, it says here that the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on uh, Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And so this little girl is kind of like the unsung hero in the story. I mean, think about it. She's been taken captive. She's functioning basically like a slave. She's in a terrible situation, but she's still bold and loving and kind enough to speak about her God, the one true God that she had heard about growing up in Israel. So God used this child to make an incredible difference in this man's life. And like Ray was saying, kids, God can use you even now. You don't have to wait till you're a certain age for God to use you to make a difference in the world. God can use all of us. And so it says that Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and, and ten changes of clothing. That's a lot of money, okay? And he says, Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Now think about this for a second. If I get a text one day and, 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 and like the ruler of some country says, I'm sending uh, my head general with his army to your office and you need to heal him of leprosy, you need to do a miracle, I'm getting a little worried. Because like when I've taken spiritual gifts test, uh, I score pretty low in the miracle category, right? I mean, like my lowest ones are like miracles, mercy, and helps. So if you need a miracle, help, or mercy, you should probably go to somebody besides me. Uh, even like, you know, I think if Benny Hinn or some, quote, faith healer is getting this letter, they're getting a little worried. Like, you know, like the head of the mafia is showing up, hey, do a miracle for you, for me. That, that could be a problem. And so this is kind of how the king reacted. He said uh, when he read the letter that he tore his clothes, which would have been like a sign of mourning or grief, and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man uh, to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So he thought it was a trick. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, he was a prophet, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So basically, uh, uh, Elisha says to the king like, king, I got your back. Miracles, that's my department. I know it's not your department. So don't worry, just send him to me and I'll take care of him. The Lord is going to work and do a miracle here. And so it says then that Naaman... All right, I guess now we know that there's more than one train, so... 
So make some notes. There's more than one train. I should use an actual Bible and not an iPad next week. So we're learning, right? So it, it, now, and right here, though, this, this is the key to the story. It says, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, now notice this, he doesn't come out and meet him face to face. He sends a messenger. And, and here's what he said. This was God's word uh, for Naaman. He said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, to me, this sounds like good news. Right? If I got leprosy and this is all you have to do, then that sounds pretty good to me. Like uh, 11 years ago, roughly, I tore my ACL playing basketball and I had to have knee surgery and do several months of rehab. I mean, if, if the doctor had said to me, no, you don't need surgery, all you need to do is go down to Mossy Creek and dip seven times and your knee's going to be perfectly normal, I would have thought, man, this is a great deal. I'll take that. But this is not how Naaman responded. It says here that Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Why did Naaman respond that way? Well, the reason he responded that way is because of his pride. He was offended that this man sent a messenger and didn't come and meet him personally. He was expecting some kind of spectacular ceremony. He thought because he had brought all this money and all these things and he had all this power and all this authority and he was used to ordering people around that he could basically come and make a deal like he would have with one of the pagan priests uh, back where he came from and that he could make a deal with God and that he could pretty much get whatever he wanted done in the way that he wanted done. And so this is the first truth that I want you to see about brokenness. Remember, brokenness is coming to the end of ourselves and, and, and depending on God. And when we come to the end of ourselves and turn to God, God will give us a new beginning. But in order for us to come to the end of ourselves, one of the things that we have to do is to lay down our pride and to come to Jesus in humility. And let's be real. All of us have a pride problem. Pride manifests itself in different ways. I think there's like a non-religious version of pride where it's like, and I, I don't need God. I don't need anything like a crutch like religion. I can handle my own life. I can take care of my own problems. Uh, you know, I don't need anybody to help me out. Maybe that's kind of where naming was. But sometimes when people like that get in a bind, then they will temporarily call on God and try to make a deal with God. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but they don't really want to surrender their life to God. And I think that's where Naaman was at this point. But you know, also, there's a religious version of pride. I'm a good person, or because, you know, I don't do these terrible things, or because of all the good deeds I've done, or because I go to church, or because I've been baptized, or whatever, fill in the blank, because of things I've done, then God is good with me. But it's not about the glory of God, it's about us. But here's the reality of what God says, James 4, 6. 
It says, God resists the proud, which means to push away. It's like a running back, stiff-arming stiff a linebacker who's trying to tackle him. God resists the proud. God stiff-arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen, if we have problems that are just overwhelming and insurmountable in our lives and we need the grace of God, we can only experience that when we actually come to God in humility. That's the reality of it. You know, Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3 all the things that he had going for him, his spiritual heritage, his spiritual uh, pedigree, uh, you know, just all his self-righteousness, all the things he had done. But he said, I count all of that as rubbish that I may know Christ. Jesus says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. The, The first step in really knowing God is knowing that we actually have nothing to offer God and our only hope is the grace of God. And until we come to that place, we're never going to come to the end of ourselves. And if we don't come to the end of ourselves, we're never really going to repent and turn to God and surrender to Jesus as the Lord of our life. Here's the reality. It's been said this way. God's plan A is humility. God's plan B is humiliation. Sometimes we force God to humble us out of his grace. Sometimes that's why we go through the difficulties that we go through because that's what it takes to bring us to the end of ourselves and to actually humble ourselves before him and begin to depend upon him instead of depending upon ourselves. You say, well, how can I become a humble person? It's not by trying to be humble. Because here's the problem. When we try to be humble, we usually don't succeed. But then when we do, we get proud of our humility. The key to humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. It's taking our eyes off ourselves. It's putting our eyes on Jesus. The key to humility is to look at the cross, to know that I am so sinful and and I'm so incapable of saving myself that it took Jesus, the Son of God, leaving the glory and the splendor and the majesty of heaven, coming to earth as a man, being crucified as a common criminal, dying in my place, bearing my sin, rising from the dead. And, And when we realize that, We understand what Paul said in Galatians 6 when he said, God forbid that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we boasting in ourselves? Are we boasting in the cross of Christ? The key to humility is to looking to Christ and him crucified and knowing that he is our only hope, that he is our only righteousness. And when we believe that, we're actually going to come to the end of ourselves and to surrender to him. So, The first characteristic of brokenness is we lay down our pride and we come to Jesus in humility. But I want to show you a second characteristic here. Let's read on in 2 Kings 5. He says, um, after he had said that about he's going to surely come out and wave his hand, heal the leprosy, he's going to do something spectacular. And then he says, are not the Arbana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So it says he turned and went away in a rage. So here's the second thing or the second characteristic of brokenness of coming to the end of ourselves 
And that is we have to lay down our terms and come to Jesus on his terms. You see, he didn't like the prescription that Elisha gave him. He's like, the Jordan, I got to go another 30 miles to go to the Jordan. Why did I travel 100 miles to come and see you? I could have just stayed in my own country and gone there. The Jordan, that's a muddy river. Who wants to go uh, dip in a muddy river? Uh, we've got clean, beautiful rivers back where I came from. This doesn't make any sense. Why, why am I going to go in front of people and dip seven times in this river? Why does it have to, uh, to be this way? That would be kind of embarrassing to do it this way. He wanted to make a deal. He wanted it to be on his terms. And, and you know what? If we're honest, that's how we are tempted to function spiritually as well. We want God to bail us out, but we still want, we want it to be on our terms. We want to hang on to our life and control of our own life. And we want to live life on our own terms, but God to bail us out when we need it. But, but we see here some things that, that, you know, we can't make deals with God. You ever tried to make a deal with God? I have. Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever tried to make a deal with God. You ever promised God that you're going to do something? And like, God, if you do this, I'll do that. How many times have you broken those promises? Probably every time. That's probably my track record. It doesn't work to make deals with God. We don't need a deal. We need grace. That's what God was offering him. He's a leper. It's a hopeless, terrible, awful, degenerating condition. But God says, all you've got to do is go dip in this river seven times. I'm going to make you well. It's grace. We don't need deals with God. He was using his own logic. Right? It just doesn't make sense. Why am I going to this muddy river? Why couldn't I go to my own river? You know, that's how a lot of people are with when they hear about Christianity. Like, the cross, I don't want this bloody religion. Trust Jesus. Can I do this, that, and, and the other? But that's our terms, not God's terms. God says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the way of God. A, a lot of times we're trying to come to God by our own self-effort, but in Romans chapter 4, the Bible says to him who works, it's not counted as grace, but as debt. That's not bringing us to God. We can't make deals with God. We can't uh, come to God with our own plans and, and say, God, bless my plans. So how does this apply to, to, to us today? Listen, if, if you're not a Christian, the way it applies to you is this. Jesus said that the work of God is to believe on him whom he has sent. And so what you need to do right now is to come to the end of it yourself, your own ideas, your own logic, your own efforts, your own uh, deal-making with God, and just come to the end of, of yourself and say, you know, I'm a sinner. There is nothing I can do to save myself. Jesus, I come to you. I look to the cross. I receive you and what you have done for me. I, I need your grace. I humble myself, and I boast in you and what you have done. I give up on my self-righteousness. I give up on my efforts. The cross is the only hope for my salvation. If you're already a Christian, you know what I found in my life is, is really every major turning point or step forward I've had in my life, 
relate to this point of the message and the next one that we're going to talk about in just a second. And that is, you know, when God puts something in front of us or when he calls us or tells us to do something, there's a decision that we have to make. Are we going to try to reason with God? Are we going to substitute our own logic, our own plans, our own ideas? Are we going to try to make a deal with God? Or are we just going to obey God? And, you know, sometimes, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but in my life, I've had to wrestle with that. Sometimes I've run with that. I mean, I ran for years when, you know, when, when God called me to preach. And there had to come a point of where God wasn't changing his mind. He wasn't coming up with plan uh, D or, or F or Z for me. I had to decide if I was going to obey or disobey. When God called us back here to plant this church, I had to decide, are, are we going to obey are we going to disobey? You know, there's been times in, in, in our lives when we've had to forgive people and we had to wrestle with, are we going to obey? Are we going to disobey? There's been times in our lives, you know, even recently, but many times where, you know, we're going through a trial and we have to decide, am I going to surrender this to God, trust him, obey him, or am I going to try to handle this in my own way? If we're really going to come to God and experience a new beginning, experience God's blessing, experience God's best, we have to come to the end of ourselves. And coming to the end of ourselves is humbling ourselves. It's doing it on God's terms instead of ours. And then the last thing, it's ultimately choosing to obey what God says. I mean, look at, look at what happened here. Uh, in, in, in the next couple of verses, you know, he walked away in a rage. And, and his servants, who were pretty bold, says they came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be cleaned? That's all he had to do. But it wasn't happening any other way. Now, was there something magical about the water? Was there something magical about that seventh dip? No. It was simply this. God's power is usually released at the point of our obedience. If we're going to experience God's power, it usually happens at the point of our obedience to his word because that means that we're acting in faith. You see, God could have healed him instantaneously any way that he chose, but ultimately God was interested in his heart. He wasn't just wanting to change his physical condition, his outward circumstances. He wanted to change him uh, spiritually. And so it says, you know, he finally listened to them. He relented. It says he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift. From your servant. He was healed physically. He was saved spiritually. Why? Because he took God at his word and he acted on it. He came to the end of himself and turned to the Lord and surrendered to the Lord. See, that's what God's looking for. The life that God can really use is a life that's unconditionally surrendered to him. 
I watched some of the documentary that was on the History Channel this week about uh, Ulysses Grant, and, and that was his nickname, Unconditional Surrender Grant, because when people surrendered, that's what he demanded. He said, no terms. But once they agreed to surrender unconditionally, he was very fair and benevolent uh, to them and, 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 you know, looked after even the opposing armies. And, and really, there's a picture, a spiritual picture in there for us. It's when we come to the place of un- unconditional surrender and humility and faith before the Lord, that's when we experience the goodness and the grace and the kindness and the benevolence and the mercy of God. But when we're stiff-arming God, when we're pushing away from God, when we're trying to do our own thing and making it about us, that's when God is going to push us away. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So in closing today, I I want to ask you, whatever age you are, whether you're 8 or 80, have you ever come to the place where you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord? When you've humbled yourself and and said, my only hope to know God, to be right with God, is the grace of God. My, My only hope is through the cross of Jesus Christ, through him dying for me and rising from the dead. And you've come to the place where you've come to the end of yourself and you've turned your life over to Christ. You've said, Jesus, come into my life. Take control of me. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. If not, I want to invite you to do that today, to say yes to Jesus, to surrender to him, to trust him. For those of us who are Christians, what kind of problems are you dealing with right now? Are you trying to handle them on your own? Or do you need God's supernatural intervention in your life? Well, the Bible says it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Is God's purpose in your problem to bring you to the end of yourself where you can really experience his best for your life? Will you humble yourself today and surrender to him and stop trying to make deals? Just come to him on his terms, not your terms, and do what God has told you to do. Will you just take that next step that he's put in front of you? Will you just do the next right thing? I don't know what all you're dealing with, and I don't know how long it's going to take to all get worked out, and I don't know God's plan for it. But really, in faith, that's all we can do sometimes is take the next step, do the next right thing. Just take a step of obedience by faith in what God has put in front of you and see what he does with it. Listen, the turning points in our lives is where there's salvation or beyond that spiritually or when we come to the end of ourselves. Will you come to the end of yourself right now and surrender to the Lord? Would you, would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me? And, and I, I want to give you a chance to respond right now. And like I said, maybe there's some people here, some people watching online that God's speaking to you about your need for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And it's not magical words, it's your heart. Right now in your heart, are you trusting Jesus? Do you believe he died for you, that he rose from the dead? Right now in your heart, will you surrender to him and say, Jesus, your Lord, come and live in me. Take control of my life. 
But then the Bible says we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. we will be saved. So if you have that faith in your heart right now, will you confess it with your mouth? Will you call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive you? Ask him to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior. Surrender to him. Maybe some of you prayed a prayer, gone through the outward motions before, but did you really come to the end of yourself and surrender your life to Christ? If you didn't, do that right now. If you've got questions or if you, you know, pray to receive Christ, come talk to us or you know, text that number, 94,000 TLC decision. Fill out the uh, the what you get the 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 card. This is a digital card that you'll get, and we'd love to get in, t- in touch with you and help you with that. You're a Christian. There's something that you know that God's calling you to do. There, there's something that you're running from Him in your life. There, there's a sin you're hanging on to. There's a problem you've not turned over to Him. Right now, will you come to the end of yourself and just surrender your life to the Lord? You just say, yes, Jesus. Maybe you don't even know fully what that means. Just say, yes, Lord, whatever. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to follow you.